Good to see you in the house of the Lord today, and uh, good to have an opportunity to be able to bring a lesson to you. I trust that the Lord's hand would be upon me and that God would bless us. You know that the title for this one is The Power of One Prayer. The greatest privilege that you and I have as believers is that we can pray and talk to Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the one who provided our salvation, and I'm so thankful that he does promise to hear, but there's some conditions that we have to go through. And uh, so in this intercessory prayer is what it's called, there are actually seven different things that Jesus prayed for. And I know we're capsule on uh, two verses here in 20 and 21, but I want to look at just a few of those real quick. Uh, the first one is he prayed for our preservation in verse number 11. It says, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Those that thou givest me I have kept, and none of them is lost. I call that eternal security. And I'm thankful that as a born-again believer that we're kept by the power of God, never to have to fear about losing our salvation. Number two is he prayed for our protection in verse number 15, that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Talking about the evil one, and that's Satan himself. And then number three, uh, I'm sorry, number four, is that he prayed for our sanctification in verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So that's how we're set apart as unto the Lord. That's how we can grow in holiness is by listening to and adhering to the word of God. And then the fifth one that we're dealing with today, our verse, he prayed for our unification in verse number 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that thou also may be one in us. And uh, what is unity? It's the opposite of what's going on in our country today. What a sad day it is to be able to see all the disruption that we have going on across the country. And uh, so our main goal is to have unity in our homes, uh, unity in our church, and eventually to be able to have unity in our nation. The sixth prayer is that he prayed that we might be with him in glory in verse number 24. He says, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. Where is the Lord? The Lord's in heaven right now. And one of these days, you and I that are redeemed by the grace of God are going to be in the Lord's presence where we'll be with him throughout all eternity. Well, praise the Lord for that. We'll be out of this sin-cursed world. We'll be away from this old nature. We'll be able to worship and glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then I find the seventh prayer is that he prayed that we might uh, behold his glory in verse 24, the latter part, that they... Behold my glory, which thou hast given me, and, that a, uh, and what a day that will be, of course, when we'll be in that celestial city, when we'll see Jesus in all of his glory. Three disciples, Peter, James, and John, were able to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, there he glistened. His face shined as the sun. His clothes was white, as the brightest of white that we could ever think of and how he manifested his glory, and he said, this is going to be the way it is during the kingdom. And of course, that is the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Now remember, Jesus is talking to 11 disciples here. And uh, if he was saying that this is what I'm applying to you with that fifth one about unification, uh, how much more so when we think about the church, 
11 is not as difficult to be able to get to be unified as it is a church, a congregation, Bible-believing churches all across this nation. And so we find here that he wants us to be one in spirit, one in mind, uh, one in purpose, one in doctrine. And so that's his desire and that's his prayer. All right, let's look to the Lord in prayer and then we'll read our two verses and then continue with our text. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your precious word, the opportunity that we have to look into it today. And I pray that your spirit would just draw us closer to you and Lord, that there might be great unity and that we might be able to see you high and lifted up and magnified in our midst. Uh, we're thankful, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that does work within our lives and how you teach us. And we ask, Lord, now that you might just uh, draw us closer to you and meet our needs. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, I will be finished before the Super Bowl. My wife says to me, how many points do you have? I said, I have five. Five? Pastor Tim has three. Does that mean you're going to go over? Well, you can sometimes cram five into three, and so we're going to try to do the best that we can. Well, as Jesus is talking here, we have to realize that the disciples were not perfect. The disciples had many flaws as well. In fact, there were jealousies and also disagreements among the disciples, and uh, here's a couple of them. Remember, whenever they brought up the statement, Who's going to sit on the right-hand side and who's going to sit on the left-hand side in the kingdom? Well, that's an element of pride there. And, of course, we don't know who's going to be doing the sitting there, but uh, nonetheless, that was, first of all, a controversial thing. And secondly, uh, in the book of John, chapter 21, 21 and 22, it says, Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? He was talking about John. And Jesus saith unto him, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Now, what is that to thee? Basically means it's none of your business or it's none of you, okay? And so you do what you need to do and then I'll give him an assignment as to what he needs to do. Uh, the Apostle Paul, even though you think of one of the most wonderful churches in all of the New Testament would be the book of Philippians. Uh, in fact, it's a book of joy. And yet, he had to say in chapter 4, verse 2, I beseech, and that means to beg uh, earnestly, I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche. Now, how would you like to label, label one of your children Syntyche? Uh, notice here that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So they had some kind of friction, these two women, and other followers and those ones who were not only followers of Christ but also students of the Apostle Paul were instructed to help these two ladies to be able to get along because they realized that it was a hindrance and that uh, things could be done a lot better whenever they had the same kind uh, of a spirit. So prayer is the main emphasis and the means of getting to the goal and that is unity. So if unity is over here and that's the goal the vehicle that gets us from here to unity is prayer. And that's what Jesus is teaching here in uh, verse number 20 and 21. Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. And man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he faces God face to face. And we don't have to necessarily be on our knees all the time. But in our heart there has to be a humility there. 
And uh, I know Mary, Queen of Scots, said that she feared John Knox and his prayer life more so than an army of 10,000 soldiers. They say the average Christian prays three minutes a day. Uh, I wonder how that would be in regard to you and I. And uh, we know that that has always been a catalyst as to how uh, God has blessed his people individually and also corporately. Well, as we look at John chapter number 17, verses 20 and 21, it says, first of all, the people of prayer, the people of prayer. And what I want to do is I want to use 2 Chronicles 7.14 as a text uh, to be able to grab some points to in order to have God hear us. God doesn't hear every prayer. And uh, we'll see some of the conditions that an individual has to follow in order to have his prayers heard. So 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So the people of prayer would be, If my people which are called by my name, God's people, born-again believers, not everybody can call out upon the God of heaven and to be able to get an answer to their prayer. The born-again believer can. The Christian can. Now, I know the Christian was not in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament. But, of course, God knew, as this was being written, that there would be believers to follow this group of people, that they qualify, and others can, uh, can pray to different types of gods and, and different kinds of uh, cultic uh, leaders, but yet there is no one that can answer except for God Almighty. The Christian comes, but not only that, but also seeking people. We're told in uh, the Word of God that, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. And I think about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. One day a man walked up to him and, say, and said, Brother Spurgeon, you are remarkable. I mean, your church is really a growing church. You've got great fire in your preaching. What is the secret to your preaching? He said, well, follow me. And he took him downstairs into the basement, and he called this the, uh, the firehouse. And he took them down, and he said, every single Sunday, I have 400 men that are down here that pray before the sermon, and they pray during the sermon, and I attribute all the power that goes forth from this pulpit from what these people are doing for me. Prayer makes a tremendous difference in a ministry. I think about individuals in the Bible that prayed and prayed diligently and God answered their prayer. I think about Daniel, how he prayed and God protected him in the lion's den. I think about Peter and he prayed, Lord, save me, and God delivered him from drowning. I think about Solomon. He prayed for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. I think about Jonah's prayer and how that God brought him out of the belly of the great fish. I think about Elijah and how that he prayed and a child was restored to life. I think about Hezekiah, he prayed and 15 additional years were added to his life. David prayed and God removed the burden of his guilt in Psalms 51. Also, Elijah prayed and 63 words and God sent fire down from heaven to burn up the idols. And then we also find that Joshua prayed and the sun stood still while a great victory was won. Moses prayed, and God made the bitter water sweet. Gideon prayed, and God showed him through the fleece 
that he would be victorious over the Midianites. Hannah prayed, and God brought forth a child through what was a barren womb prior to that. Zacharias prayed, and he and Elizabeth were able to have a child, and his name was John the Baptist. The dying thief on the cross prayed, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus turned and looked at him and said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now we can go all through the Bible, but I will say this, that we are living in a day and time when prayer is something that is left undone because a lot of people feel as if what will be will be. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. Whether or not I go before the throne of grace and I bring up prayer requests and petitions, it's just going to happen the way God sees fit anyway. I don't have any part in it. Well, I can cite to you many, many different people, and we'll look at them in just a minute, how that God answered their prayer because they were dedicated, consecrated people. Well, I think about not only the people of prayer and how that they were Christians, how that they were seeking people, but I also think about the proper attitude in prayer. And as I would think about 2 Chronicles 7:14, it says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. To humble themselves has the idea of by admitting our sin. You heard Brother Brad up here a little bit earlier and saying about our old nature and our new nature. And I'll be the first one to declare that I have an old nature also. We all sin, don't we? We all have that old nature that we carry with us to the grave. And that's one of the most important, wonderful things that we will be ridden of whenever we get to glory, we'll no longer have that old nature. And it's fighting inside of us against our new nature. And so every day we have to go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And I'm so thankful that God does forgive. Well, when I think about humble yourselves, I think about the fact that we need to admit that we are not smart as to eliminate God in our life. We realize that we are dependent upon him. We realize without him, we can do nothing. We are handcuffed without God. We can't just live our life every single day and think that, well, everything's going to work out okay, and life is going to be a tremendous blessing, and I can do it. I can live this life. I can do it. I can say no to Satan or my old nature. You can't. I can't. I need God. I'm desperate for him. And if you'll be honest, you would be too. You would say the same thing. Now, in the book of John, chapter number 17, I didn't get to read my two verses, but it says here, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Shall believe on me? That's you and I. The ones he was talking about initially there were talking about the disciples. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That we would be one in Christ. That there would be a real unity all based on the person and work of Christ. His purpose, his mission, have his mind. And so we find that you and I don't want to be thinking about the things that pertain to us and that we're number one. No, we need to humble ourselves, recognize that we do wrong. When we do wrong, we need to ask God to forgive us. Notice it says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and pray for what? 
and pray for the forgiveness of sins. I know that we struggle with an old nature every day. And if we would be honest, we'd have to say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I cannot live victoriously without you. And then I think also about the pursuit in prayer. If my, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And then he says here to seek my face. The idea there is to seek God continually. Seek God daily. It has the idea of to search for, to crave after something. When you think about the word seek, uh, it would give you the thought of a person, perhaps a guy shooting a deer and it's dusk. He wants to find that deer before it's nightfall because he realizes that if he does not find it, he's lost it. It's like a person going in on Black Friday and they want to get an item in the back of the store. You know what that's like. It's like a foot race. And if you're not st stampeded at the door, okay, uh, you're very, very fortunate to get back to the back where those particular items are and so that you can be able to get what it is you want. There's a pursuit there. There's a desire there. In the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus said this to his disciples. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, teach us to pray. Do you notice he didn't say, teach us how to pray? He said, teach us to pray. In other words, they already knew how. They were told that back in Matthew chapter 6. You go into a quiet place, when thou hast shut the door, thy father which seeth thee shall reward thee openly. He sees you in private. He sees you in a place of seclusion. Now he's going to reward you openly. So I see the fact that it's teach us to pray. What do I mean? There's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of hindrances. A lot of times it's because either we think we can work it out ourselves or we just don't have enough time, we don't make enough time, we put God on the back burner until we get into a crisis mode, and then we pray. But teach us to pray. We saw your intensity. We saw your fervence. Lord, help us to be able to have that same kind of fervence in prayer and to be able to see great and mighty things accomplished. George Whitfield, who preached following a prayer meeting, with such a burning heart, an agnostic man ran down the street in Scotland saying, Methinks me seen Jesus today. Would that be said? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said about you and I? John Wesley said, When questioned about the great crowds who came to hear him preach, I am simply set on fire and people come to watch me burn. Why? Because of his pursuit of the Lord and spending quality time with God. I don't know if you've ever read the book, Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds, but it gives you a list of about 20 people. It's astounding at some of the time that these folks had spent with the Lord. Preachers primarily, some of them 8, 10, 12 hours a day in prayer and getting a hold of the throne of grace and not wanting to leave, not even wanting to get up to go and eat something, but to want to stay there in the presence of, of God Almighty. You've heard of Robert McShane, I'm sure. He died a human skeleton at the age of 29. And, uh, but he moved Europe closer to heaven because he knew how to pray. I think about Billy Sunday. Many of you have heard of Billy Sunday. He could shut himself up in the closet 
when the temperature was 100 degrees and pray until he appeared to have been in a steam bath. He just realized my help cometh from the Lord. I can't do this on my own. I can't preach on my own. I can't see people's lives be transformed. I can't see people get saved. A man by the name of Praying Hyde, and I know you'll probably have a real hard time believing this one, Praying Hyde agonized with God in prayer until he shifted his heart into his right rib cage. Now that's intensity. That's a burden. Uh, that is something that is not usual. I think about George Mueller, who took care of 2,000 young people, orphans, and every single day he prayed that God would provide for those children and uh, through prayer and through faith. Never had to ask anybody, but God laid it on individuals' hearts to take care of those precious children. David Brainerd, the father of modern missions uh, in America, who could kneel in the snow up to his chin with a horse blanket over his head and pray until the snow melted and ran like water about him. His flaming heart and tender compassion also melted the stubborn hearts of the Indians. As he was dying from tuberculosis, he kept preaching the gospel while he sprayed blood from his mouth and coughed up parts of his lungs. Now that's amazing. I mean, that is a prayer life. I just think about the fact of how these men were totally dependent upon God Almighty. They didn't want to try to do it in the flesh. They realized that without the Lord, they could do nothing. We're told in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, and verse number 13, it says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. Uh, not a, ha uh, a half-heartedness. It's a matter of desperately pursuing after God. Uh, it's realizing that I, I cannot do this without God's help. I realize also that we see the prerequisite required to answered prayer in 2 Chronicles 7.14. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. In other words, turn from our sinful behavior. Realizing that Jesus is my object, he is my love, he's the one I'm going to live with throughout all eternity. Sin only brings me under deep sorrow and a shadow of, of, of grimness. I need God Almighty to help me. And so, in order for the Lord to say this, it was true of the men back in the Old Testament, but it was also true, excuse me, of the disciples. We first of all see unconfessed sin in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In other words, I'm just going through the motions. It's not getting to heaven. It's only going to the ceiling, and that's all. So we realize that any kind of unconfessed sin, you know the bravest thing that David ever did was not killing a lion. It was not killing a bear. It was not killing Goliath. He said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. His prayer was, Put the spotlight on my heart and my soul. Would you look in every area that there wouldn't be any kind of hindrances? Because I don't want to be a deterrent to what you want to do in my life. And that's what Jesus also meant as he was talking to the Father about praying for unity. 
among God's people. I realize that we have all kinds of different personalities. We have all kinds of different interests, all kinds of different things that you like to do. The main focus is not being poured into uh, a, a mixture, poured into uh, some kind of a, uh, to try to be like somebody else. I remember years ago, a preacher passed away, but individuals in his Bible college loved his preaching so much that they wanted to do everything just like him. Cough like he did, have gestures just like he did, have voice inflections like he did, try to have their voices like him. But that's not what it's talking about. That's talking about being like Jesus Christ. So I think about unconfessed sin, I think about disobedience, and every day we ought to ask, Lord, is there anything in my life that shouldn't be there? Would you please just put the spotlight on my life? I don't want to be guilty of harboring any kind of sin that can be a hindrance to me. Am I willing to obey you in everything that you show me? Well, sometimes there's disobedience in failing to love one another. In John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's a tall order. To love one another as Jesus Christ loves us. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. How do people on the outside see if we are a follower of Christ? They're able to see that when they see love in your heart and my heart toward one another. I often use when I'm counseling folks who want to get married, I have a triangle and I put God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit up at the top. I put the husband-to-be on one corner and I put the wife-to-be on the other corner. I said, now listen, there's going to be all kinds of pressures. They're going to try to get you to go haywire and to go off the deep end and not to have a love one for another. But the closer the man gets toward the Lord, the closer the woman gets toward the Lord, guess what? The triangle gets smaller and smaller. That's the way it is in a family as well. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 15, it tells us that we are a family. There's a family in heaven and there's a family on earth. And I know as far as the family is concerned, they're the closest unit to us here on this earth. Apart from our Savior, the closest unit. And in order for that family to function right, in order for that family to be able to have real joy in their heart and to be able to have unity in their lives, there has to be love one for another. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse number 20, 39, excuse me, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's a tall order. Uh, a neighbor would even include church members. To love them as you love yourself. And we love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. We provide for ourselves. We seek to meet our needs. And so when I think about our neighbors, that's even those ones who don't have as much as we do, even those ones over at the Paris Foundation, others that we might meet and the Lord directs our steps in regard to meeting different people. I'm told in the book of John 15, 12, it says, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And so no matter what the situation is, we need to take care of and to get rid of so that we can have a real genuine love one for another. 
In the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. The word dissimulation has the idea of uh, something that would be hypocritical, something that is not real love. And then I read in the book of 1 Thessalonians 3.12 from the Apostle Paul, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Notice there, to increase in love one toward another. Even as ye do toward me. So that love ought to be increasing with every day that we grow spiritually. Should that not be the case as we're talking about that triangle again? That the love is going to become more intensified as each of the family members draw closer to Christ, as each of the church members draw closer to Jesus Christ. We find in the book of 1 Peter 1.22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, with great intensity. I wonder if there was a at the very end of the service, whenever we hold hands and we sing uh, about being one in the spirit, is there somebody that you perhaps wouldn't want to hold hands with? There shouldn't be. Whatever the barrier, ask God to help you to remove the barrier. And by the grace of God, he will. And then there's also the unwillingness to forgive. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, it says also in clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, how? Even as Christ hath forgiven you. I'm sure this is true of you. You want the Lord to forgive you of every sin, sin that you bring before the throne of grace. And if that be the case, I have to be willing to forgive those who offend me, those ones who rub me the wrong way, so to speak. John Maxwell said this, the best way I keep from having spiritual junk hinder my prayer life is to, first of all, avoid it. But when you haven't, the best thing to do is to clean it up as soon as possible. I found that there are common blocks to effective prayer. I call them prayer killers because they take away all power from our prayers and they hinder our relationship with God. So when our sins are in our lives and we're not willing to ask the Lord to forgive us, then they are prayer killers. And it takes away our desire to pray and also our effectiveness. And then I think the last one here, and everybody says amen, okay, uh, is the promise of answered prayer. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, did you notice there, I will hear? Isn't that what we want? Whenever we pray to have God hear us, to know that he hears us, that we're not just going through the lip movement and not just bowing our heads and closing our eyes and just saying some words. Because remember, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But to realize I want him to hear, and then it says, I will forgive the most wonderful thing is to have the burden of sin lifted from your heart and life. And then he also says, I will heal. Will heal what? He wants to heal the nation of Israel. 
He wants to heal you as an individual. It might not be physically, but you know what? God can do it physically. I mean, we see a young man here at our church who has not had a seizure in about uh, at least two, maybe three months because of a prayer meeting that was met for him. And you know what? That can happen all over the place. If you have not watched this yet, you ought to. When God's People Pray by Jim Simula up at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, some of you have seen it. God has miraculously worked in people's lives. But just like Harold Seitler's church, they had prayer throughout the entire uh, time of the service. Just like Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the same thing with the 400 people praying. Jim Simbola has a large group in a prayer room downstairs and they're praying while he's preaching and the power of God falls. And I see these different illustrations, 12 of them all together on two DVDs of people whose lives have been completely transformed, not only being escaped from alcohol and drugs and immorality, but also to get on fire for God and to live for Him and to honor Him. But it all comes through prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're not righteous within ourselves, but we can find forgiveness through the blood of Jesus and have that sin removed as far as the east is from the west. He says, there's sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. He'll bury them in the depths of the deepest sea, over 7,000 feet in the Pacific Ocean. The deepest part of the sea, I'll bury them there. And I won't remember them anymore. I'll never call them to your attention again. I read in the book of Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You can't even comprehend what God wants to do. It's off the chart. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's far beyond a 10. I want to show you some miraculous things that I will do for you, but you've got to do the calling. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Back in 1949, Billy Graham had his campaign in Los Angeles, and he had a huge tent. It was able to hold 6,000 people, and it was always filled to overflowing. And then off to the side, there was a little tent. And in that little tent, that was also crowded. A lady uh, by the name of, let me get her name here, Pearl Good, would head up a prayer meeting, and that prayer meeting continued to grow and grow because they saw what was happening. And Cliff Burroughs, of course, the longtime music director, and also a very close friend and uh, associate of uh, Billy Graham. So let me tell you something. The people that were saved on a daily basis, remember, eight weeks, that's 56 days. The people that were saved and lives that were transformed was not necessarily from what was here on the pulpit, the man who was standing here and preaching, but the ones over there in that little tent. I'm telling you, God can do miraculously far more than what we can do through human ability. Doesn't matter how smart we are. That's why the Bible says to humble yourselves and pray. Lean upon God Almighty, the one who can do all things. So I'm thankful. When I think about the prayer of one, the prayer for unity, the main thing is we have to be in a prayer relationship with our wonderful Savior. We have to be right with the Lord in order for him to even hear us let alone for it to work. 
and I just see some different things that you and I could be able to grasp a hold of with these different illustrations and things that just to see a real tight unified spirit because we love Jesus with all of our heart. All right, let's look to the Lord in prayer, please.